how do I make up for all the lost time? How do I make up for the years that I've wasted? There's a song that we don't sing. I don't think it's in our hymnals or even in the supplemental. Entitled, Wasted Years. Wasted years, wasted years, oh how foolish. How I walked on in darkness and in fears. How many times have any one of us felt that same way? How many times we've walked in darkness and in fear? In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, in verse 4, it says, For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. He says, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. But the question I want to ask is this. Have we tasted, have we tasted the heavenly gift? Have we become partakers of the Holy Spirit? Have we, been, have we tasted the Word of God and the powers of God? Have we tasted the heavenly gift that God has given us? And my answer to him was, if we've tasted the heavenly gift, if we become partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the Word of God and His power, then whatever has happened in the previous years of our life, God will take care of. Because today, we are experiencing the heavenly gift of God. But then we had an hour's discussion after that. Don't worry, I've edited it. It won't be an hour. But the first thing I'd like to suggest to you as we think about this is God offers his blessings to us whether we come early or late. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. In this parable of the vine workers, in verse 1 it says, For the kingdom of heaven is a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for vineyard. Now when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And said to them, You also so enter, so you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give to you. So they went. And he went out about the sixth and ninth hours and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle today? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you'll receive it. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. And when the first came, they supposed that they would have received more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner. And this is what they said. These last men have worked only an hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. 
Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give you, I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do as I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. I think the point of that parable is that here you have these people that come early in the morning that begin to work, as the Lord said. And they're offered a particular wage or compensation. Then you have those that come the last 30 minutes of the day. And they're also offered a wage and compensation. But that gift they're offered is the same as the person that has worked 18 hours or 8 or 10 hours a day. And they don't understand. And we would kind of argue that same way, wouldn't we? You know, I put in 18 hours, this per person put in 30 minutes. Why, why does this person get the same amount I do? I put in more time. I mean, we work by the clock, right? We want our, our hourly wage given to us. And if we worked overtime, we want double overtime. But here, the point is, the Lord said, look, it's my gift to give. And it doesn't matter whether you, you come and, and work in my vineyard in the first hour of the day or the last hour of the day. It's my gift to give, and I get to choose. I get to choose how much the gift is going to be. You have no argument with me. You agreed to work with me for this, for this particular wage. You agreed at the beginning of the day to do that. And now then I've offered this gift of the same amount to the person at the end of the day. You have no beef with me in that. It's my gift to give. And the Lord tells us this. It doesn't matter whether we come early to Him or whether we come late to Him. The gift is the same. The gift is the same. Why? Because the giver gets to decide the gift to be given, not the recipient. And so regardless of whether we've come early or whether we've come late to the Lord, and regardless of what the years before have, been done, have, have taken place and what's been done in those years before, this is the gift that is given. This is the gift the giver has chosen to give. Several years ago now, when Gladys Fight, those who've been here a while will remember her, was alive. She lived in the same apartment for years and her Landlord was a lady named Nettie Becker. For all the years that Gladys lived in that apartment, Nettie never raised her rent. It was the same at the end as it was at the beginning. Well, cutting the story short, eventually Gladys was able to teach Nettie the gospel, and Nettie had agreed to obey the gospel. But she had a fundamental problem. She was scared to death of water. Now, there's something essential about coming to the Lord. And we don't get to negotiate that. It has to do with water. It has to do with being immersed in water. And so whatever the fear was, she swallowed it. And she was immersed in water and added to the Lord. I think it was two, maybe three weeks later. On a Saturday, somewhere around one or two o'clock, I get a call from Joe. And Joe told me, he said, Ricky said, Nettie had gone to the grocery store this morning, gotten in her car, and slumped over the wheel. For two or three weeks, this lady had been a child of God. 
But then you take the person who began early, and they live to be 90 plus years old. And finally, due to the decrepit, to the uh, uh, adversities of age, finally age takes their life. Does the person that, that lived and served the Lord for all those years till age 90-something get a different, better reward than the person that's just served the Lord for two weeks? No, the Lord says, you get the same gift. Many receive the same gift as the person that had received the Lord up until the, in, in their 90s and died in their sleep. They received the same gift, whether early in the day or late in the day. You see, here, I think, is the valid point. It's not where we begin or when we begin. It's who we are and what we are at the end. Do you remember that Pharisee of Pharisees named Saul of Tarsus? When you read his story, Saul of Tarsus was not what we would call a rebel in the sense that he was rebelling against God. In all good conscience, he will say, I, I thought it my responsibility to find those of the way and to persecute them because they were living contrary to the law. And he had a fervency for the law. In fact, he will say, concerning the law, I was blameless. He did not know who Jesus was. His fervor was intense. Until that not fateful day, but blessed day. On the way to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him and told him to go into town and there would be one named Ananias who would come and would teach him more perfectly of the way. And Ananias taught him and was baptized and God said of him, of Saul of Tarsus. I have many things for him to do, appear to kings and queens and to the Gentiles. God had different plans for Saul of Tarsus. Is there any apostle that is held with higher regard than Paul? Is there any apostle, as far as the record we have, that endured more adversity from his Jewish brethren and even those brethren of the faith than Paul? Is there any of the apostles that would say, as far as the record we have, that when my last hour came, I stood alone and no one stood with me? You see, it's not who was he at the beginning. It's who was he at the end. At the end of his life, he will say this. I have fought the fight. I have finished the course. I have run the race. And there's a crowd of righteousness waiting for me. Not only for me, but for all those who will love the Lord at his appearing. How could he confidently say that? Not because of where he started but because of where he is and who he is at the end. 
it doesn't matter whether we start early or whether we start late. It's not where we start that matters. It's where we end. Do you remember the story of Joseph and those ten brothers who were filled with such envy and treated him with such deep rascality and meanness? So that they sold him into slavery. And the text says that as he was going off, they saw the anguish of his spirit. How do you see the anguish of spirit? They saw it all over his face. They saw the anguish of his spirit. These ten guys, they come before Joseph now some 17 years later. Do not expect him to be Joseph. They're standing before at all. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And he begins to put them through the rigors of the test to determine whether they're the same mean, dishonest, hateful rascals they were before. And finally is revealed they're not. He tells them, don't you dare come back unless you bring your younger brother with you. Don't even think about it. And they go back and they tell daddy, daddy, we got to go. He said, you can't take him. I'm going closer to the grave every day because my son was killed. My son is dead. You can't take him. I'll for certainly go to grave. Well, dad, we're running out of food. Here's the deal. We're all going to go to the grave or you're going to go to the grave. No, that's not what they said. But dad, we're running, we got to go back. We're running out of food. And Reuben is real noble about it. Reuben says, hey, dad, they don't come back. My two sons for him. Now, we kind of knocked Reuben there, but you got to give Reuben credit. Reuben was the guy that was going to deliver him from the pit. He just showed up a little bit late. And Reuben's the one when they're all in prison said, I told you guys, I told you. Here's the rule I told you so. I told you not to do that, and you did. And we saw the anguish of his spirit. Now we're all, look at where we're at because of what you did. And so Simeon stays. They go back, and finally, they come back. But before they do, Judah, who was the ringleader among Simeon, Levi, and the others to put Joseph in the pit, said this. If he doesn't come back, my life for his. Let's see. Is there somebody else that appears down line from Judah that says the same thing and did the same thing for me and you? The question is, how can God take these same ten men and make them head of ten of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, these ten men who treat their brother with such hatred and such envy? How can he do that? And the answer is, he didn't. They're not the same ten men. And they demonstrate that before Joseph. By their willingness to even give their life, even Judah give his life for his brother, when before he was the one leading with envy and hatred toward his brother. They are not the same men. The same events that have changed Joseph are the same events that have transformed these ten men to be the kind of men that God will appoint as head of ten of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. It's not who we are when we began it's who we are at the end it's not who we are when we began it's 
What kind of transformation did we undergo that God transformed us to be in His image that who we are at the end that matters? And it doesn't matter whether we start early or whether we start late. We're still never going to get that job done. He'll finish that job of sanctification and its purity on the other side. But we get the same reward. And so the answer is this. Whatever wasted years we feel like we have given, we, 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 we violated God. How can we redeem that time? We redeem the time by undergoing the transformation and appreciating the gift that we have today so that at the end when we open our eyes, we see the face of God and He sees us like Him. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what we left behind. It's not where we begin. It's where we end. And God offers the same gift, whether we begin early or whether late. He gets to determine the gift. Second, the second thing I'd like to share with you is, if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 8, 2 Samuel 7, 1 Kings 8 kind of parallel one another. David lives in a cedar house, and he sees that God is still worshiping a tabernacle, a tent. And this cedar house is as fine a house as you can have at that time. And he says, it's not right that I'm worshiping this house and God is worshiping a tent. And so Nathan, what I propose to do is I propose to build God a house. Nathan said, hey, I think that's a good idea. You go ahead, whatever you want to do, that's great. And then God comes to Nathan overnight and says, well, put the brakes on. No, David, when did I ever ask you to build me a house? Now, God's not chiding David on this. He said, David, did I ever ask you to build me a house? No, here's the deal, David. I'm going to build you a house. And so David wants to build the house of the Lord. But in 1 Kings chapter 8, listen to what he says in verse 14. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand has fulfilled its saying. Since the days I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I've chosen no city for any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now, it was in the heart, that was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come after you from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. But notice what the Lord said. The Lord said to my father David, for it was in your heart to build the temple for my name. You did well that was in your heart. It was good that you thought of it. Why doesn't David get to build the temple? Because he's a man of blood, a man of war. He said, I'm going to build a house for you. Your son shall build that house. But David, it's good that you thought of it. Now, when Solomon builds the house, and God looks at David and Solomon, they stand the same. But David didn't get to build the house. How can David stand the same as Solomon? Because when God looks at the heart, God sees the heart that was willing to do, he was just restricted from doing. And when God sees the heart of Solomon and the heart of David, they're measured the same. You see, there's no greater recommendation of man to God than his heart. 
That's why Solomon will say, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We'll be no better, we'll be no greater than our heart. Our heart is our recommendation to God. And when God looks at David and Solomon, he sees them the same because of their heart. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 now. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. With that thought in mind, and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And as you do, thumb on down to verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. You'll recall in the first part of this chapter that, that Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he's using these Macedonians that he's already spoken to about the gift that the Corinthians are kind of stuck on and they a year before had offered to give but now they, they've been sitting on it for a while now that Paul's trying to move them. So he uses the Macedonians as an illustration. And the key to the Macedonian giving is they'd first given themselves. But notice what he says in verse 12. For if there's first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. When you look at the gift of the Macedonians, he said, I bear record, yea, to their power they were willing to give, and beyond their power they were willing to give. He doesn't say they gave beyond what they could give. You can't jump higher than you can jump. Don't worry about giving so much you're going to go broke. You're not going to be able to give more than you give. But he said when you look at their power, they had the willingness to give more than they could give. Now, when God looks at the Macedonians, and God looks at the Corinthians, it's not the dollar amount by which God measures. When God looks at the Macedonians and God looks at the Corinthians, they stand level. Why? Because of the heart. He said, if a person is willing, it's accounted to what he has, not what he has not. The recommendation before God is our heart. Responsibility is opportunity plus ability. If I have the opportunity and ability, I have the responsibility. But if I only have the ability but not the opportunity, but somebody else has the ability and the opportunity, do I come behind the person who had the ability and the opportunity, but I only have the ability? Opportunity is restricted? No. We both stand the same. Why? Because it's accounted to what one has and what not one, one has not. What are we willing to do? Well, I have the ability, I have the opportunity, but I don't have the ability. But someone has the ability and the opportunity. I have the ability, but now I don't have the opportunity to do it. Do I come behind those who have the ability and the opportunity? No responsibility is opportunity plus ability. And here's person A that has ability and opportunity. Here's person B that is restricted from one of those. Does person B come behind person A? No, no. It first depends upon a willing heart. If one is willing. How's one who is willing measured? Not according to what they have. Or have not, but according to the willing heart. You see, it doesn't matter whether we start early or late. What kind of heart do I have today? Remember that story that the Lord tells of the widow that gave two mites? And she gave all that she had? And it says she gave more than all those who gave out of their abundance. Wait a minute. She didn't give the same dollar amount. How can she give more than those who gave out of their abundance? She only gave two mites. They gave out of their abundance. How can she give two mites and that be more than those who gave out of their abundance? How can they do that? How can she do that? How can she have given more? Because of her heart. When God looks at them, they come behind her, though the dollar amount is less. 
because they didn't have a heart that was willing to give. If she'd had four mites, if she'd had six mites, if she had a thousand mites, how many would she have given? She would have given all. Why? Because that's the kind of heart that she has. You see, it's not whether we have little or much. It's what kind of heart do we have, whether we have little or much. And if I have the heart, if I have much that I'm willing to do, and I have the heart I have least that I'm willing to do, when those stand before God, they stand equal with God. Not based upon the amount that was given, but based upon the heart. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, I think it's a key passage to this. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. For it's God who works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God could get the do. God could have had the do. God could impose the do and we wouldn't be able to resist. Had God just created us as people who he wants just as automatons to simply bow down before him when he says bow or stand up when he says stand up, God could have done that. But God works both to will and to do. God doesn't just simply want the do of a person. He wants the will of a person. And when God gets the will of a person, the do will follow. See, we'll have to be careful about, okay, well, we're playing fast and loose with this will and do stuff because if you find someone with a heart that's willing to do, you'll not restrict them from what they can do. Here's a person that is lost. And they have a will to be saved because of the grace of God. What are they going to do? They're going to do all they can to please God. It's not a matter of whether they're going to be baptized. It's a matter of how soon can I be baptized. But if here's a person who doesn't have the will and all they do is fight about the action, then the action all day long is not going to cleanse them. Why? Because the will to do is not there. It's God who works both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's not how much I put in the plate versus how much you put in the plate. It's not how many I teach versus how many you teach. It's not how many I serve versus how many you serve. It's what am I willing to do? For it's God who works both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And see, whether I come early or late, it is accounted what? what? It's accounted what a man is willing to do. For if there's worst a willing mind, it's accounted according to what he has. And not according to what he does not have. Am I willing to do all today with who I am, all I can do that God provides for me to do? Am I willing to do that? Then I'm not going to be measured or judged of what I did not do. Third thing. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. In verse 7. Let's move from that question to another question. So I've come to Christ. I came to Christ early. But now, I've not been giving Christ all I have been willing to give. 
how do I redeem those days? How do I redeem that time? I'm not talking about the person now who, who's has felt like they wasted years in darkness and fears, but now the person who's come to Christ, and now, after having come to Christ, have wasted their life in darkness and fears. Now, what about that person? Well, John will say in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's not automatic, because he will go on to say, if we confess our sins, verse 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word not in us. My little children, these things I write to you. So that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. So as I have this penitent attitude. I have this attitude that that is willing to confess all the sins I know, and if I know more, I'll confess more. My attitude is a penitent attitude to make myself right with God, and God, please cleanse me from my iniquity. And I bring that kind of heart to God. Then what about the blood of Christ now? He says, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses, and that's a present tense continues to cleanse us of our sins. As we walk, continue to walk. As we confess, continue to confess. His blood continues to forgive us. His blood continues to cleanse us. And He continues to forgive us. So even after having come to Christ, if I feel like I have wasted some time, the blood of Christ still cleanses and enables God to forgive. There's still grace for that person too. Not because of what they do, but because of the kind of heart they have. Because they've come penitently confessing their negligence to God and say, God, I have not been faithful to you as I ought. Now, God, I want to be more diligent serving you. Now, what about me? What about those years? And he will say, what years? Because the only years I know are these years. I have cleansed you. You see, the question for both those sets, whether the person has not come to the Lord or whether the person has come to the Lord, is what am I doing today, now, with the gift God has given me? What am I doing today with the gift that God has given me? What am I willing to do today? I may be restricted in opportunity and ability, but what am I willing to do? Am I willing to give God all I can give? In Romans chapter 8, in verse 16, I think there's a beautiful picture that's painted here. In Romans chapter 8, in verse He will say, the Spirit himself bears witness our spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness, witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does that mean? Well, what you have in this passage is a courtroom setting in which you have someone that is accused and you have someone that is, you have the prosecutor and you have the accused. And so both are in the courtroom, 
And the prosecutor has the witness on the stand. And the prosecutor asks the witness, do you see the person alleged to have committed this crime in this courtroom? And the witness says, yes. And the prosecutor says, would you please point him or her out? And the witness says, right there. There he is. And then the prosecutor has a picture. And takes the picture to the person on the witness stand and says, do you see the picture? Do you see this person in this picture in this courtroom? And the witness says, yes, and there he is. Is the person in the picture the same person that you identified as the person that committed the crime? Yes. So you have the ideal and you have the real. And when you have the ideal and the real, what do you know? You have the person that committed the crime. Well, what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying is, his spirit bears witness our spirit so that we know what? We're sons or children of God. So here is his spirit. And here is our disposition, our spirit. When his spirit and our spirit agree, what do you know? You know we're sons of God. So I have the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, etc., etc. Love, joy, peace, gentle kindness. And I see someone that has that same fruit of the Spirit. What do I know? His Spirit, my Spirit, bear witness with one another. And what do we know? We're sons of God. But we have His Spirit and our Spirit. And our Spirit does not bear witness with His Spirit. Then what do we know? We know we're not sons of God. In that same passage of Galatians 5 where you have the fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God and the works of the flesh, which are the Spirit of Satan, then what do you know? You don't have a Son of God. But His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. So here's His Spirit and here's our spirit and they bear witness. And what do you know you have? You know you have a child of God. So, when His Spirit has cleansed us of our sins and His Spirit transforms us into His image and then when God has His Spirit and looks at our spirit and they match, we know what? Whether we've come early or late, we're sons of God. There's our confidence. Our anxiety is not, what have I not done? The assurance is that His Spirit bears witness to my spirit that I am a son of God. And what enables that to happen? The blood of the Son. You see, what matters today is that His Spirit bears witness to my spirit that today I'm a son of God. Not yesterday I was lost, or yesterday I was a rebel. Is that today, today I'm his son. Today I'm his child. There's our confidence. Well, but you know, we have a lot of thou's and thou shouts in that book. Although we couldn't carry the book, 
if all the thousand thou shalt not were explicitly mentioned. Do the thousand thou shalt not mean anything? Absolutely. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Is it essential to obey the commandment of God? Absolutely. Is there a single commitment of God, uh, commandment of God we can cherry pick and say, I'm not going to do this one? No. But what are people who are willing to do, do? People who are willing to do, obey. And so people who are willing to do, it's not a matter of, have I kept all the vows and thou shalt not? The question is, people who are willing, obey, and am I willing to do according to his good pleasure and obey all that I'm able to obey? See, when you get people who are willing, the vows and thou shalt nots take care of themselves. They axiomatically follow because that's the kind of heart the person has. So the question today is this. Not have I wasted years, but am I willing today to obey Him? Because it's he who works both to will and to do of his good pleasure. There's our confidence, folks. Our heart recommends, ourselves, recommends us to God when we come early or late. And if we've come and we've fallen away, it is still our heart that recommends us to God. And it's still his blood that cleanses us of our sin. There's no sin so ugly, so great, so despicable that God's grace will not and cannot cleanse. However dark we may have thought we were, when the light of the sun has shone on our hearts, then the light of the sun will be seen in our life. Am I willing today to obey Him? If that need is to have your sins washed away, then are you willing to do that? If that need is to be restored to the Lord in some way, are you willing to do that? Do you just simply need to go in your closet and have a conversation with God? Then whatever we can do, you come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.